Thank you. Am I on yet? Now I am. Okay. All right. Good morning, church. Um, it's wonderful to be in the house of the Lord this morning. It's my privilege to continue our series in uh, doing what Jesus did. Rama taught last week on intercessory prayer, and we're going to kind of continue in the prayer vein this morning. Um, so the intercessory prayer was about how we sort of stand in the gap between God and and someone who has a need that we're aware of, and we and we bring that need before God. And the prayer that we're going to talk about this morning is more of our individual connection with the Father and why that's so important. So if you brought your Bible this morning and you want to turn to Luke chapter 11, that's the uh, first scripture that we're going to read. I put more of it on the slide than I'm actually going to have us read. So we're just going to read verses 1 through 4. And if you would all um, stand, we've kind of gotten into the tradition of standing for the reading of God's word. It, it just sort of puts us on alert and uh, puts us in a position of being ready to receive something from God. So if we can get, um, yep, there we go. Luke 11, we're going to read verses 1 through 4. One day Jesus was praying in a certain place. When he finished, one of his disciples said to him, Lord, teach us to pray just as John taught his disciples. He said to them, when you pray, say, Father, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Give us each day our daily bread. Forgive us our sins for we also forgive everyone who sins against us and lead us not into temptation. You may be seated. So this is one, what we just read is one of two places that the Lord's Prayer appears in Scripture. The other one's in Matthew chapter 6 as part of the Sermon on the Mount. And we are going to go to that one because it's enough different from this one and it's actually the one that people are more uh, familiar with, so I do want to look at that one as well. As, as I sort of uh, set the stage for um, what was happening here with Jesus and his disciples, I want to look at another scripture, which I think we have on the slide, and that's Luke 5, verses 15 and 16. <clears throat> so this is uh, a few chapters before Luke's gospel. It says, Yet the news about him spread all the more, so that crowds of people came to hear him and to be healed of their sicknesses. But Jesus often withdrew to lonely places and prayed. So I think these two scriptures um, that I just read and we just read sort of set the stage for what we're going to talk about this morning. Jesus' fame was spreading across the land, right? Um, in the previous chapter in Luke, uh, Luke chapter 10, chapter before the Lord's Prayer, he had sent out 72 of his disciples, gave them authority, and he told them, go to all these towns, and when you go to these towns, I want you to announce that the kingdom of God has come near, and I want you to heal the sick. So he sent them out, they did this tour around the country through all these different towns, 
And they come back and they're just jazzed, right? They're so excited. They say, Jesus, it was awesome. Even the demons submitted to us in your name. Um, so the disciples are beginning to do what Jesus did, right? That's what this whole series is about. We learn from Jesus and then we do what he did. <clears throat> so even though all this stuff's starting to happen and the disciples are getting excited, I suspect that they felt like they were missing something um, as, we, as we come into the beginning of Luke chapter 11. So in the first century, a disciple, a Jewish disciple, would learn primarily by being with his teacher all the time. And when I say all the time, I mean all the time, like within arm's reach all day long, pretty much. And so they would observe the teacher's behavior, how he behaved himself, what he said to people, how he, um, how he spent his time, and they would begin to model their own life after the life of the teacher. But we read uh, in Luke 5, Jesus often withdrew to pray. So Jesus would pull himself away from the group, right? And he would go pray. And these followers who are supposed to be learning from him are like, wait, get... Could you tell us what you said? Right? They weren't with him, and I think they were wondering what they were missing during these prayer times. Um, the comment about, uh, in verse 1, maybe we can put that Luke 11 back up, because we're talking about that a little bit. So in verse 1, it says, they wanted Jesus to teach them as John taught his disciples. Um, this is really interesting, and it makes me wonder if Jesus' disciples had kind of compared notes with John's disciples and realized that John had taught his disciples how to pray. And so they're wondering, you know, is Jesus ever going to teach us how to pray? So Jesus gets back from, um, from this time alone with the Father. And, and they approach him. And I can, I can almost hear um, maybe some of the thoughts that were going through their head. Maybe we've been doing this wrong all the time. Right? I know Jesus' disciples were praying, but maybe they were doubting that they were doing it right. Jesus you know, always seemed to be right in the center of God's will. He always had the right thing to say in every situation, full of power, full of authority. And I think they felt like they, there was something they needed um, from Jesus that had to do with prayer. So they said, teach us how to pray. So the first um, point I want to kind of emphasize this morning is that Jesus' power came from his connection to the Father. And so the thing that the disciples were missing was that connection to the Father. We're still toward the beginning of our series on doing what Jesus did. And so over the next few weeks, we're going to be looking at compassion, healing, prophecy, evangelism, even casting out demons, um, all of these incredible things that Jesus did and calls us to do, and the empowerment for all of that um, will come to us just like it did to Jesus from our connection to the Father. Jesus said in John 5, 19, the Son can do nothing of his own accord, oh, there's no slide for this one, sir. but only what he sees his Father doing. Jesus was constantly checking in with the Father. And this connection 
and this intimacy is what gave him his power and ultimately his direction for his ministry during his time on earth. When Jesus was teaching about true and false disciples, he said, not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but only the one who does the will of my Father in heaven. So Jesus did the Father's will, and Jesus is expecting, it sounds like, that we will also do the Father's will. And if we're going to know the Father's will, we must stay connected and tuned in. One of the keys to this is found in the very first words of the Lord's Prayer. <clears throat> so I'm actually going to hop over to another scripture real quick. Um, this is Hebrews 5, 7. We've been going through the book of Hebrews in the Friday morning men's Bible study, and I've read that book a number of times, and for some reason this, this verse never jumped out at me like it did um, just recently. So it says, during the days of Jesus' life on earth, he offered up prayers and petitions with fervent cries and tears to the one who could save him from death, and he was heard because of his reverent submission. So Jesus approached the Father with reverence. And this is a little bit of a strange thought, you know, if we think that Jesus was eternally one with the Father, and then he left that estate, came in the body of a man to earth, and then he's turning around, turning around as a man, and he's showing reverence to the Father. <clears throat> as though the Father is so other than what Jesus is. Um, yeah, it's just kind of, Kind of a strange thing to think about. Um, can we hop back over to, to Luke 11? So Jesus begins this prayer. The, the disciples say, teach us how to pray. He begins this prayer and he says, Father, <clears throat> hallowed be thy name. It's a word that we don't use a lot in English. At least I don't. Um, but hallowed and holy kind of have the same root. So hallowed be thy name, holy be thy name. This is, not, this is not a prayer to affect God or to change something about God, right? God is holy. His name is holy. It always has been. It always will be. This is a prayer to change our and others' perception of him as being unique as being one of a kind. This morning we sang, holy, there is no one like you. Right? God is one of a kind. He's unique. And this practice of repeatedly revering or honoring God with our words, it does something inside of our minds and it changes how we approach him. Um, it's kind of like uh, in the book of Daniel, when Daniel's talking to the king, and every time he says something to the king, he says, O king, live forever. It's like he's attaching to the name of the king this, this reverence or this, this high position. That was a custom of the time. You know, Daniel was just following, but um, we, can, we can do the same thing in our approach to God. So our family does a Messianic Jewish um, 
Shabbat service on, on weekends, when we can. It doesn't always work, but we try to on Friday nights. And so there's this little service we go through where you read certain scriptures and you say certain prayers. And these little, there's these little one-liner prayers that are woven all through it. And they begin with, Blessed are you, Yahweh, our Elohim, King of the universe, who, and then something, something about God, who brings forth bread from the earth. Blessed are you, Yahweh, our Elohim, King of the universe, who has sanctified us by your commandments. And so these kind of prayers establish a rhythm of making sure that our prayers have the right address on them, that we, we were thinking about who we're talking to when we approach God in prayer. So there's all this, this reverence, this honor, and then at the exact same time, he's our father. It's father in heaven. Reverence plus closeness. And those two things are, are brought together in this prayer. He's our father. He knows our every thought. He knows what we're going to ask before we even open our mouth to speak to him. The Jewish scholar um, Jeremiah said that in everything Jesus taught, uh, there was some basis in Jewish thought. So like some thread of what the Jews had already known about God. But the way Jesus called God Father was new. That was not part of um, Jewish tradition. <clears throat> Even today, Jews... They get hallowed be thy name, right? They call God the name. They honor his name. They don't call him Father. And it's the Spirit of God in us that testifies to us that he is our Father. Abba in Hebrew and Aramaic. And, you know, people have tried to translate that different ways. One of the ways it's often translated is Daddy. It's like what a little kid calls dad. So, Jesus' power came from his connection to the Father. My second point um, this morning is that if we follow Jesus, we follow him in prayer. So if we're going to stay arm's length from the Master, right, go everywhere he goes, do everything he did, whatever he does in prayer, we, we ought to follow him in prayer. Jesus introduces his prayer by saying, when you pray, not if you ever decide you want to pray, but when you pray. So he expects us to be people who pray. And this morning we're going to dig into how did Jesus lead us to pray. So I want to switch over now to the other Lord's Prayer, which is in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 through 13. Um, this one kind of falls in the middle of Jesus' teaching on prayer. So he's, he's giving this long sermon and he switches from one topic to the other and he's teaching about prayer and he throws in this, this model prayer, the Lord's Prayer. He says, uh, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. 
How many of you are thinking there's more, right? For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever, amen. So that ending is found in some of the original manuscripts, and it's not found in some of the original manuscripts, and so different translations, some of them have it, and some of them don't have it. Um, this is the NIV. It happens not to have that ending on it. <clears throat> if we do include that ending, thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory, the prayer sort of gets bookends of reverence, right? It's like, hallowed be thy name, we think about God as, as holy and set apart, then the prayer comes down to earth, right? And Jesus talks about kind of our daily walk, right? What are we going to eat? Um, how are our needs met? Are we forgiving people that we need to forgive? Um, temptation, you know, the day-to-day -day Christian living stuff. And then at the end, it goes back up to reverence again. Thine is the kingdom So, a uh, sermon point. We need to be constantly reminded of what Jesus' priorities are for the kingdom. We need to be constantly reminded of what Jesus' priorities are for the kingdom. So when big social or political movements happen in history, there tend to be songs or or poems that are written that sort of encapsulate what's going on. And those carry on long after whatever, you know, revolution, whatever event is going on, those songs um, carry on through history. Like if you think about America's journey to freedom from Great Britain and how the Star Spangled Banner captured the passion and the purpose of that fight for freedom. And we still sing it to this day, right? A lot of you probably have it memorized, at least the first stanza. That's what we, that's what we always sing. And people tear up when they hear the national anthem, right? It reminds them of, you know, maybe sacrifice that a family member made in the armed services or, you know, just the pride they have over certain, certain things about our country that they appreciate. So I kind of think of the Lord's Prayer as an anthem for the kingdom. Jesus gave us an anthem. He gave us something to, something to sing, something to repeat to ourselves to keep that energy going. Um, there's a quote I came across as I was preparing for this morning that I thought was really good, and it's from Tim Mackey. Raymond actually shared a quote from Tim Mackey last week. I think he's a... He's a gifted Bible teacher. Anyway, he said, this is Jesus, so he's talking about the Lord's Prayer. He said, this is Jesus condensing the very heartbeat of the kingdom movement he is launching. And he gives us this prayer that reflects the greatest commandment, which is love God, love your neighbor. So if we follow Jesus' model prayer, we first focus on God, then us, Right? And when Jesus was asked, what's the greatest commandment? He said, first, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. The second is like it. It's sort of like the other side of it, right? Love your neighbor as yourself. And Jesus knew.